0: Scripture reading this evening is from Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Ooh, new glasses. (laughs) Okay. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Well, good evening. We are glad that you're here with us, college students. We are especially glad that you guys are here. We've been waiting on you guys to get here for a while. So we are thrilled that you are in town. Uh, We encourage you guys to get involved as much as you possibly can. And most of the time when you show up, you can't say that we don't feed you. So we at least give you food when you walk in the door. Uh, Tonight we have a meal after this, so please stay. I think we got some more uh, stragglers back there in the back. Uh, And also Wednesday we have a couple of our... Uh, Parents here have volunteered to feed you guys every Wednesday night. So as long as y'all act right, I think they'll keep feeding us. Don't ruin that for me, please. That is is at 5.30 every Wednesday night in the fellowship hall. And I think this week is poppy seed chicken, so you know it's going to be good. So we'll see you at 5.30 this week. But we are so glad you guys are here. I hope that you all have the same experience here that I did in college. I made so many relationships here that have lasted even to this day. Uh, University Church of Christ is a unique situation, it is a unique family, and I hope that every single one of you gets to experience that, and that your friends also get to experience that, whether they're here tonight or not. But we hope that we can be here and serve you guys and help you grow closer to God in any way that we possibly can. That being said, the verse that we just read a moment ago, Psalm 103, that's the whole reason we're here tonight, right? And maybe I'm mistaken, but I believe this is the entire reason that we all get together, Every Sunday morning, in the morning, every Sunday afternoon, every Wednesday night, we always come together in order to bless the Lord with all of our soul. For everything that is in us, to go to God and not to worry about the things that are waiting on us outside of the the walls of this building, but to somehow put everything aside and for a few moments at least, maybe for just an hour, just an hour at a time, to devote everything that we have to the God of the universe, to the God who sent His Son to die for us, to the God who has shown us the most amazing display of love that the human mind can possibly imagine. But when we walk out of here, when you walk out of here on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday night, on a Wednesday afternoon, how do you feel? If you here on Sunday morning, or if you were worshiping anywhere this Sunday morning, how do you feel about your time there? What do you feel like you did? Now you might say, well, I got some encouragement, some brothers from some brothers and sisters in Christ. I shook some hands. Uh, I got a lot of good smiles. I was encouraged by the presence of other people. I learned a lot. You know, I learned a ton, and Randy did a great job this morning teaching us a great deal. And we've been discussing today the issue of instruments and in worship. And since it's no secret that Randy is far more intelligent than I am, tonight I'm not going to pretend to fill in any gaps that Randy did not leave for us to fill. But I do want us to continue this conversation along those lines of what worship is all about. I would like for us tonight to take a small step backward in order to show the big picture of worship. And in doing that, I don't think that we're going to downplay the importance of any aspect of worship. We're not taking a step back in order to say, well, singing's not quite as big a deal as long as we have the heart behind it. Now, obviously, the heart is the most important thing, as Randy told us today. The instrument that we are all working on and worship every single time we walk in this door is our heart. And true worship is all about the heart. If you don't believe that, you can take a look at Matthew chapter 15, where Jesus is quoting the prophet Isaiah talking about the Jews, and he says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me. Folks, worship is all about giving praise and honor to God. And with this issue at hand, when we talk about music and worship, how does that fit into the power behind worship? As we begin our study tonight, I think it's good to think about the story of the old repairman and his son. There's a certain electronics repairman who buys a brand new TV and he comes on and he hangs the TV on the wall. He tries to turn the TV on to no avail. It's not working. So he takes it off the wall and he's had a lot of experience working on these types of devices. So he just goes ahead and he removes the back panel. And he notices that one of the components seems a little bit out of order. So he takes a few minutes, he repairs the component, he puts the panel back on the TV, and he hangs it back up. Same problem. No power getting to the television. So he takes the TV back down, and he looks the TV over, and says, Well, everything looks good, but just to make sure, I'm going to fine-tune everything. The man's an expert in all the inner workings of a television. He works for hours, and then he works for a few more hours. And then when it's late at night, he's very frustrated. He's about to give up, so he says, I'm going to cool off and go to the kitchen and get a glass of water. So he walks into the kitchen, and as he's pouring a glass of water, he hears the sounds of a football game coming from the room behind him. He rushes into the room, and he finds his teenage son propped up on the couch with his feet up, with the TV running, watching the football game. And the repairman says, Son, how did you get that TV to work? I've been working on that for hours. The son said, Well, I just took the power cord out of the box and plugged it in. And I think sometimes... No matter what side of these issues people fall out on, I hope that we don't forget about the power behind the components by becoming too focused on the components themselves. And if we learn anything from that illustration of the man and his son, it's that we can, there is a certain danger of focusing so much on the little components and making sure the components are right, that we forget to power the whole thing and we forget about the whole thing that makes each of those components work In the first place. So tonight I want to take a step back and talk about why it is we worship in the first place and to see how that affects why we worship in the way that we worship. And the first thing that I want to make the point for tonight is that true, genuine, deep praise, the deepest praise that anyone has ever offered to God begins with an admiration for who God is. By the very definition of the word praise, you cannot praise any anything if you do not first admire it. You cannot praise one of your friends. You cannot praise a good movie or a book that you have read if you don't first like that person or like that movie or like that book in the first place. And you might say, well, of course, why are we even talking about this tonight? But I think oftentimes church leaders will talk about enhancing their worship. When we talk about enhancing the worship, maybe we go to the The music first, or maybe we go to the look, or maybe we go to the comfort of the pews that we're sitting in. We can go to a lot of different things, a lot of different avenues, and we are so blessed in the United States to have so many resources to try to enhance our worship as much as possible. When I say enhance, what I mean is to make us have a better experience of honoring God. But folks, if you want to enhance your worship experience... If you feel as if this morning when you went to worship, that that experience was not what you were looking for, and as you're sitting here tonight, as we sang the beautiful songs we sang a moment ago, and as we prayed to God as we went to the creator of the universe a few moments ago, if you do not feel that this worship type of ceremony is getting the job done and it needs to be enhanced, I want to tell you tonight, you don't start working on the extrinsic factors hoping that the intrinsic ones will follow. You do not enhance the worship by first saying, well, let's change the songs that we're going to sing. Or let's change the way we're going to sing the songs. Or let's change the clothes that we're all going to wear. Or let's change the pews that we're all going to sit in. If you want to see real growth in your worship to God, the first thing you need to do is to cultivate a deeper admiration for Him. You need to cultivate a deeper respect for who your God is. And as we read a moment ago in Psalm 103, the the first verse of the psalm, Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Now, if we know David for anything, certainly it's for the way that he can so beautifully communicate his praise and his admiration and his love for God. In fact, the title of the book of the Psalms in the Hebrew is actually simply The Praises. The term means praise. So David has literally written a book in the Bible about praising God. So certainly it's a good idea to turn to David and figure out, David, if you were able to worship in such an outstanding, extraordinary way, how could you do that? And I'm a firm believer that David was able to worship in an extraordinary way because he admired his God in an extraordinary way. He knew who his God was. He knew about his God. Let's keep reading in verse 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. Who forgives all of your iniquities, who heals all of your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He has made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, he will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above there earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And David continues going on and on and on saying, Bless the Lord, all that is within me, and here is why. I know why I praise God, because look at everything God has done for me. What more can I possibly do but have the utmost respect and admiration for him? So, folks, David's worship, David's ability to praise God was not extraordinary because the guy knew how to play a harp. His worship to God was extraordinary because he knew his God on a deep level. He knew exactly who it was he was approaching in worship. So I want to present the idea to you tonight that if you'd like to enhance your worship, if you would like to improve your worship, wherever it is that you worship, you don't start by changing the extrinsic factors. It starts with you. If you're not happy with your worship experience, when you read through that chapter of the Psalms, if that doesn't stir your heart, if that does not gets you on fire for God, if that does not remind you of how great God is, folks, that is not the Bible's fault. That's not David's fault. That's not the Holy Spirit's fault. The fault lies elsewhere. The capacity for deep, true worship in spirit and in truth begins with your perception of God. It begins with your perception Of God. So firstly, we must admire God. Secondly, I believe we must adore God. And is that not the natural response? If you admire God and you know what He has done, logically speaking, you know what He has done and you understand what He has done, if you truly believe that, where is that going to leave you? If you truly believe the words to the songs that we sing up here while we're singing them, if you truly believe those words that are coming out of your mouth when you are singing those songs, if you truly believe that when you are bowing your head in prayer, you are actually going before the throne of the creator of the entire universe who has done beyond imagine for you and for your family, for your children, for your brothers, your sisters, what's the natural response? I believe it is insanity. It is nothing short of insanity to say I believe in God and I believe all of these words that are coming out of my mouth as I sing them meanwhile feeling no sense of love or adoration for God in our hearts while we are doing it let's look at Psalm 104 Psalm 104 beginning in verse 33 David says this I will sing to the Lord as long as I live I will sing praise to my God while I have being may the meditation may my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. We'd have a hard time arguing tonight that David did not rejoice in God when he worshiped God. David had the joy in his heart when he went to God and worshiped. So, as we are making the case today, and as Randy so eloqu- eloquently made the case this morning for acapella worship, we are not trying to make the case for worship that is devoid of any sort of emotion. We are not trying to make the case for worship that is simply sitting with a stone cold face and singing the words, how great is our God, looking like we're ready to take a nap. Unless you think as David wrote these words, he did not have some type of inexpressible joy in his heart. A lot of times we don't like to talk about the emotion that comes with worship, And sometimes it's rightfully so for the fear of letting the emotions take over and dictate everything it is we do. But emotion has its place in worship. If you truly believe that God is the God of the universe and as we sing these songs to Him, what choice does your heart have other than to be filled with joy beyond compare? As Paul says, to rejoice in the Lord always. As David says here, I will sing to God. And I hope my meditation is pleasing to Him. I will rejoice in the Lord as long as there is breath in my lungs. Emotion does not dictate how the worship is run, but certainly emotion, emotion is a part of worship. Now, emotion is a part of worship, but emotion itself does not mean worship. You can be happy. You can be filled with joy. You can be filled maybe with sorrow as you look back at the cross. But the feelings that we have, while they're a part of worship, they don't equal worship. Paul talks about the Romans, or excuse me, he talks about the Jewish Christians in Rome. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, My desire for them, my heart's desire for them is that they may be saved. He says they have a zeal for God. They have excitement. They've got all these feelings. They're ready to go. They're ready to serve God. He says they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. So that leads us to the third point tonight. Yes, we must admire God. We must adore God. But the third point of worship that we want to discuss tonight is expression. Expressing our worship. And I believe this is where most of the issues. This is where a lot of debates about a lot of things in worship, not just the music, but a lot of different things that we do. It comes down to the manner in which we choose to express this sort of feeling within us for God. And to begin talking about this, I want to talk about an illustration that probably means a lot to most of you. If you are married or if you've ever had a, what my grandfather would call, a special friend, if you've ever had one of those you know that your relationship is a lot about communication, right? Relationships don't work without communication. And if you've read any books, if any of you college students have had marriage and family yet, what you learn is in order to show your spouse that you appreciate them, you communicate with them in the way in which they like to be communicated with. So here's an example. I know my wife loves Reese's. She loves those little Reese's cups. I'm not a big peanut butter guy, so I don't really like them. But Now, I love Klondike bars. And I get on kicks with things, and right now, buddy, I'm on a Klondike bar kick. I've been eating at least two a day now since April. (laughs) Didn't think I was going to admit that out loud tonight, but I did. (laughs) I love Klondike bars, so if I'm on my way home tonight, on my way home, I decide, you know what, I want to do something nice for my wife. I'm going to stop and I'm going to pick her up a treat. And I think, man, I sure do like Klondike bars. I love Klondike bars, and when somebody brings me a box, when Kana comes home and she says she got Klondike bars at the store, man, I know that makes me feel so great. I love it. And I think, well, I'm going to buy her some Klondike bars. She kind of likes them, but not much. When I get home and she gets the Klondike bars, she will appreciate the gesture, I'm sure, but she's not going to appreciate the Klondikes as much as she would have the Reese's. So if I wanted to communicate with her, If I admire her and I adore her, which I do, then I'm going to express that in a way that she would like for it to be expressed. So I'm going to buy the Reese cups. Folks, we understand that when it comes to a relationship that we have with someone else. And when we come to God, when we express all of, yes, the emotion should be there. Yes, the admiration for God should be there. But we can't express those things to God in exchange for what Jesus says is worshiping in spirit and in truth. C.S. Lewis, in his commentary on the Psalms, points out the simple fact that praise, audible praise, is simply the completion of any sort of enjoyment or any sort of joy. He makes the argument, he says, when you read a really good book, When you see a really good play and you're sitting there at the end when you finish and you think that was incredible, that was such a great book, that was such a great play, what's the next thing to come in your mind? I've got to tell somebody. I've got to tell somebody how great this thing is, not because I just want people to know, but because look at how great it is, it deserves to be lauded by others. And for whatever reason, psychologically speaking, that enjoyment that you get out of whatever thing it might be, it's not complete, it's not finished, until you have a chance to express it and have others appreciate it with you. So when we come in here to praise, we are trying to express this great inexpressible joy, inexpressible honor that we want to give to God because we know that He is holy, holy, holy. That he is higher than anything that we could possibly imagine. But we must express it in a way that God has commanded. And Randy so eloquently this morning discussed the way in which God has asked us to express our worship through music. So that leaves us in the situation that we are in today. And I think we can all agree... On the simple facts that we have discussed tonight. But in addition to taking a step back and looking at what praise is all about. And what worship is all about. And challenging every single one of us. When we walk out of here, what did I choose to do with my time in worship? Did I really use that admiring God and loving God and trying to communicate to him in the way in which he taught me? Because certainly we know that if we love God, if we have the admiration for God, Jesus says you will do what? You will keep my commandments. Can we find unity on that? Part of the argument is this. There are some who, who think that these issues of worship, and yes, music is one of them, but there are many more, that these are not really issues of Scripture. They're not issues of Scripture. They're issues of maybe preference or tradition or opinion, as Randy told us this morning. It's not, that is not the case, and I 100% agree with Randy on that. But let's pretend for just one moment that that is the case. Just try to, hypothetically speaking, if that is the case, how can we reach unity? Because I think something all of us gripe and complain about when we're talking to our friends, whether it's behind closed doors or whether it's here in worship, is the, the state of what we call nominal Christianity today. So many different denominations, so many different places doing so many different things. How on earth could we ever Reach unity. Well, part of the problem is we disagree fundamentally on what is an issue of scripture. One does not. But even if we assume that it's a matter of tradition, and we say, "Well, you can have your opinions and I can have mine. You guys do your thing over there. You guys do your thing, and I'll, I'll do my thing over here, and we'll just stay separated." I think we can take a cue for unity from Romans chapter fourteen. Let's go to Romans 14. There's a situation here that Paul begins talking about in the very first few verses of the chapter. Let's look in verse 1. As, 1. as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the, let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld if the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Therefore, the one who observes the day observes it in the honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in the honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains abstains in the honor of God and gives thanks to him. So basically the picture here, People were eating food that had been killed, offered to some kind of foreign god, any other god. And a lot of the Jews, rightfully so, had an issue with the, the look of that. Saying, well, I don't want to buy meat that's been offered in idol worship, and I don't believe we should eat that, Eat that. I don't believe we should participate. Meanwhile, other people had no problem because they understood, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians, there are no other gods, so it doesn't matter. You can eat it or you cannot eat it. So here we truly have an issue that would be analogous. We have an issue that's a matter of tradition. We have an issue that's a matter of opinion. We have an issue that's a matter of simply preference. And we're not saying that's the case with the issue at hand tonight. But if we're saying if that's what we want to hang our hat on to find the ability to do these sorts of things. How do you think Paul says to handle this and to find unison? Let's start reading in verse 13. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Paul says here is a matter of tradition and preference and opinion. And we can unite on this, and we must unite on this. And if you're of the mind that it's okay to eat this food, and if you're of the mind that it's okay to skip these days of the Jewish calendar, then in your shoes, your job is not to destroy, to divide the body of Christ based on a preference or opinion or tradition that you would like to hold to. And the common ground, obviously... If we were all to come together, what would a worship service look like with all of us together? Everybody looks at the same scriptures in the Bible and it says, Sing and make melody in your heart. We can all sing. Nobody has a problem with singing. Not a single person, not a single Christian will walk in an auditorium and you sing a song and say, I'm offended you're singing. You can't be singing. We all agree that the New Testament teaches that we must sing. Anything beyond that, obviously, as we have led in the study today, it's not biblical. And we certainly believe it to be a biblical issue. The facts of the matter state that it is a biblical issue. But even if we are to allow, so what I want to do tonight is make a plea for unity. Not a plea to, to hold fast to a tradition or to a preference, but a plea for unity based upon nothing more than the Word of God. Based upon the Word of God alone. And what Paul says is, it is not worth it is not worth any of these things to split up the body of Christ. He says, if I know I, I can eat this if I want to, but it's going to make someone else stumble, I'm just not going to eat it. It's not an issue for Paul. Paul knows the danger that lies in dividing the body of Christ. And all throughout his letters, he warns against division and he's trying to keep the churches together. Folks, Paul is willing to change his lifestyle to keep the church intact. When we talk about changing the kind of food you eat, if you've ever tried to go on a diet... You know how hard that is to do. That is a real lifestyle change. That is every couple hours you're having to make the decision not to go back into those old habits that you had. Every time you get hungry, every few hours you want to sit down and eat, you've got to say, well, I'm not going to eat that because it's going to make my brother stumble. Paul is doing this day in and day out, 24-7, seven days a week, for the entirety of the year. I wonder what we might be willing to what we might be willing to destroy the work of God for. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Whatever it is, and transparency, whatever the issues are, whether it's hand-raising, clapping, playing an instrument, whatever those things are that keep us divided, is it worth it? Is it worth the unity of the body of Christ? And I think you would agree with me in saying absolutely not. So tonight, yes, this is, this is a reminder of what worship is about, and I believe when we have that in mind, certainly what we do in worship matters more, because now we're trying to express to the God of the universe how much we love Him. God has given us a clear pattern. He's not a God of confusion. He's given us a clear pattern for what to follow. Randy has shown us that so thoroughly this morning, so we can know beyond the shadow of any reasonable doubt that this is the way we are to worship. But I hope, hope that at large, we can find unity, to find the mutual peace and upbuilding, to follow the New Testament's command to sing and make melody in our hearts. As we have stated time and time again this evening, worship is a lot bigger than music. Worship's a lot bigger than a pew. Worship is a lot bigger than lights. It comes down to your perception of the God of the universe. So I want to ask you tonight, what is your perception of God? How do you view God? Maybe you're here tonight and and you know God is who he says he is and that his son was Jesus Christ and he died for your sins, but you haven't committed to him yet. Well, then we have water. Why would you wait to give your life over to him and to begin a life that is service to God? to be a living sacrifice. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to grow. You need to grow deeper in your admiration for God. You need the support and the help of the church here. Well, then we're here to help you, and we hope that you'll come now as we sing together.